my privilege uh, to introduce our speaker again this morning, uh, Paul Snyder. For those of y'all who, again, missed the uh, Sunday School class this morning, uh, it has been uh, recorded, his talk about the ministry in Papua, uh, Indonesia, with the uh, Korowai tribe. Really encourage you to watch that, and it will give you a good feel for the ministry that uh, Paul is involved in. He's, uh, he's been on furlough basically for the last three or four years, just recovering from a variety of jungle diseases that he's uh, acquired over there. But in the mercy and grace of God, his uh, health has gradually improved. Uh, he's going to make another trip over there in a couple months. And then, Lord willing, he and his wife and daughter will move back uh, over there in January to continue their ministry. So uh, we are very blessed to have uh, Paul with us today. And uh, we look forward to the ministry of the Word through our brother. So uh, we praise God for you, Paul, and come and minister the Word to us. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. My wife and I are very thankful for Northwest Bible Church over the years of the partnership that we've had together in the Korowai ministry. And uh, again, you know, it's not just the sending church or whether a missionary is with a mission organization, although we're not. Um, we are direct sent by our church, but it's not just about the sending church. It's about all the churches and their partnership uh, together with the missionary and the gospel. So you are on the field with us in spirit. John chapter 6 this morning. I want to read verses, start at verse 49. And uh, read to verse, I'll tell you what, I'll just read to verse 59. John six forty-nine to verse 59. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Please pray with me. Our God and Father in heaven, I thank you for this text. I thank you for the Gospel of John, that it teaches us what it teaches us about the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ Jesus. 
I thank you, Father, that we have our word, your word, in our language that we can study, that we can study, Father, that we can know you, the God that saved us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this word. Father, I do pray that you would teach us from it, that we would be submissive to its instruction, that we would allow the Spirit to, to illuminate us and to change our thinking. Oh, Father, renew our minds. It's only a short while we're here, Lord, and you have given us such an enormous task to be holy as you are holy. So make us like that, I pray. Thank you for these, this time with your people. Guard my mouth, and I pray what you've given me to say to your, your congregation would be edifying and uh, worshipful this morning and pleasing to your sight. And I do thank you, Father, for the ministry of the Korowai. Even now as they're coming to Sunday evening, I pray that you would guard the hearts and minds of the evangelist. You would grant repentance to the people in the north and in the south and even in this building this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I want to leave you with a few thoughts this morning from John 6, because as many times as I've read this portion of Scripture, um, I never really saw or understood what John was relating to us through Jesus' words here. Um, I had read this passage over and over for a long time, as probably some of you have, and it wasn't until I studied this and ripped some of the phrases and the words apart that what I found was absolutely amazing. Just incredible. And so I want to share that with you this morning. Maybe some of you have mastered and studied John's Gospel, and um, you know what I'm going to say to you this morning may be nothing new. Uh, so if that's the case, if you're a master in John's Gospel, then you can just sit there gloriously. Gloriously sit there and listen. I want to turn your uh, attention to verse 51, if you will. Please look at verse 51, which, which says, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is an exclusive claim made by Jesus. No other person in all of history can make this kind of claim. Jesus here, when you start looking at this verse in particular, verse 51, Jesus uses the definite article throughout this verse. And if my counting, if my mathematics is correct, I believe he uses it six times. He uses the definite article in the Greek language six times times. Now, over and over in verse 51, we find that definite article. Now, why is that so important? Well, he says, our translation, and I read from the ESV, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, when you translate that literally, with the definite article, 
He, it literally means, I am the only bread with the only life that is eternal. Come down from the midst of the only heaven. If someone eats this exclusive bread, they will have the only life that is eternal. And you, you catch that? The only life that is eternal. Which is my flesh alone. <laughs> that changes that whole verse. I mean, when you look at it like that. That could not have been any clearer for the Jews that were standing there listening to him in that synagogue. And it's clear for us too. For the Jews that have been grumbling and grumbling and grumbling about Jesus' words in this chapter, they would have understood the full use of that definite article. That's why they're grumbling. When he says, I am the only bread with the only life, come down from the only heaven to give you the only life that is eternal. Man, you talk about sinful man's heart exposed? How dare you speak like that? Don't you dare talk like that. What does he mean by this? How could this man, this man that we know, how could he speak like that? Jesus uses that definite article over and over and over in this verse, and they understood the full use of that definite article. But at the same time, they did not understand it because they saw only claims that a divine person could make. And they refused to believe him. They refused to believe that Jesus was divine. They refused to believe that He was the divine Messiah. Don't you dare talk like that. What does He mean by this? How can it be? Men all over the world have the same disposition of the heart. You find that men all over the world, even in the most remote places on earth, partake in all kinds of efforts and things for fulfillment and satisfaction when all along standing right in front of them is the divine Christ. And they reject it and saying, no, that is not important. What I want is more important. And you look at the Korowai people and they're the same way. Fallen in their disposition of their dead heart and they look at things as pigs, women, money, stone axes to fill their longing. Appeasement to an evil spirit to fulfill their longing. For us in the West, it's no different. Just looks different in our culture. Money, comfort, people, power, possessions, status. All along, standing right in front of these Jews was this divine Christ. And all they could do was grumble at His words. The heavenly bread, the only fulfillment in life. Listen to me, what, what, is, what is our fulfillment in this life? What is it that fulfills us? You must examine our, we must examine ourselves, what is it that fulfills us in this life? It's only a few short years and we'll stand before Him. What is it that is our longing and our fulfillment? 
Are you truly longing for Christ through His Spirit, through His Word, and through prayer? Does it constantly absorb your thinking and your life to where you say, that is my fulfillment. There's nothing else that I want. In reality, according to this text, according to this text, are we hungry for Christ? That's the the way Jesus speaks here. Because He is the only one that can feed us. What we must understand, and I want us to understand that in the work of missions, or really any ministry that we do for the kingdom of God, those ministries cannot give us lasting fulfillment. How many times my heart is turned to where the ministry in the Korowai tries to make me fulfilled? And that's not what it's about. It's not about that ministry and getting fulfillment out of that ministry. It's about being fulfilled in the person and work of Christ alone. No ministry will ever do that. No person will ever do that for us. We will never find true and lasting fulfillment in things and people and events. True satisfaction and fulfillment are found in this living bread that came down from the only heaven. The only bread which gives the only life that comes down from the only heaven. And the Jews did not want to hear that. Our labors for Christ in this life, no matter who we are, where the Lord puts us in this life, are to be done with a thankful, joyful, and obedient heart for what He has done for us through His life, through His death, through His resurrection and ascension. Now, the words eat here, and this gets very interesting, at least I I believe it. It's just amazing how He speaks here. The words eat and feed saturate this section of Scripture through um, verses 51 onward. They saturate this section of Scripture. They are found in nine verses, the words eat and feed. Nine verses. Why did he speak like that? Why did he use eat and feed so much to relay his message to the Jews? Why does Jesus use this kind of language concerning eating? Well, there are several reasons why he would use this kind of language. First, when people eat food, and we eat three meals a day, unless you're trying to watch what you eat, and some may eat two. When you eat three meals a day, that food becomes part of you through digestion. It comes part of you. The food goes through the body, giving nourishment to the person. People may think much of Christ and even speak kindly of Him, but it is not until He enters their lives that they become one with Him. See that connection? That's John 17, 21. 
Christ is spiritually ingested into the one who believes. This is why Jesus uses that kind of language. Because He alone is the one that is spiritually ingested into the one who believes in Him alone. Now there is a contrast in this chapter with the Old Testament manna. You probably picked up on that, especially if you read even before verse 49. There's a contrast between the Old Testament manna and Jesus, the bread from heaven. The contrast is between Exodus 16 and John 6. And if the Jews were smart, which many knew those books, they would have picked up, perhaps, on those, on on Exodus 16. It's interesting that the people of Israel in Exodus 16, get this, in Exodus 16 are grumbling just like the Jews in John chapter 6. They're doing the same thing. In Exodus 16, they're grumbling about what Yahweh did. In John 6, they're grumbling about what the Son of, Son of Man says to them. The bread that was sent from Yahweh in the wilderness to the people of Israel did not grant them eternal life. It couldn't. The proof is, Jesus says it twice, really. He says it in verse 49, and they died. He says it in verse um, 58, not as the fathers ate and died. That bread was only good for temporary, natural life. The contrast is Jesus was sent by the Father from heaven as the bread that has come down from heaven. The people of Israel ate the bread in the desert and were temporarily satisfied. This exclusive bread that has come down from heaven must be eaten by all peoples through all the world for eternal life. And that's one of the reasons why we do missions. This exclusive bread that has come down from heaven must be eaten by all men and women through all of history. That's the command. Repent. Mark 1.15 Repent and believe. That's a command. That's why we do missions at Northwest and other churches of like-minded faith. We proclaim a message about this exclusive bread that has come down from heaven. That's the message. We proclaim that if anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. And you try telling that to a Korowai person and watch the lights come on. The centrality of missions is not the missionary or the church. The centrality of missions is Christ, this only bread that came down from the only heaven. That is why we send missionaries to the world. And that's why when we send missionaries as a church and other churches send missionaries, 
We send them to preach Christ alone. This exclusive bread. This exclusive Christ. That He alone can grant forgiveness of sins. We do not send men and women. We do not send them that with other messages or good morals or good philosophies. We send them with this message of exclusive, exclusive, exclusivity. And that's Christ. We send men and women that will lay down their lives for this message. And that's why we must know what ministers of the gospel believe. Because, I mean, brothers and sisters, it's no different in the most remote place on the world. Satan is at heart at work to bring false teachers into the most remote place in the world. To deceive the people, deny the Trinity, steal children, cause uproar, trying to destroy the church. That's why we must know what ministers believe and know that they are willing to perish for those beliefs. Are we willing to do that? I mean, let's just be honest with each other. Are we willing to die for those beliefs? Do we value this exclusive bread so much that we would say, I'll suffer what I must? (laughs) Not that we look at me. No, no but that we say, Lord, use this suffering to sanctify me. Listen, suffering is a gift. Not that we enjoy the suffering, but that He receives the full reward. We must understand that missions will not be accomplished by little boys and little girls playing missionaries on the field who are weak in their doctrine. It just won't happen. They must hold firm until death that this is the exclusive bread come down from this only heaven that has the only life which is eternal. Do you understand that and do you grasp that? This is a serious message. This is a serious calling. It's a serious message to the people of Oklahoma City just as much as it's a serious message to the people in the Korowai. Because Christ gave His life for those that respond in saving faith. He gave it willingly. Those that we preach to and those that we love and those that we disciple, and those that we care for, and those that we die for. He died for them. You know, I'm so tired of seeing on my field, and I could stand up here and give you story after story about my field, Papua. I'm so tired of seeing at least in the last 10 to 12 years the number of missionaries that have no clue what they believe or have a theology that is not according to sound doctrine. Or that they've wavered. That they've not taken it seriously and they've just moved away from that sound doctrine. And then it becomes evident within the Papuan churches. I once 
You listen to me. I once had a missionary stand up in front of Papuans. He was given an opportunity to preach sound doctrine to them. And he looked all these Papuans right in the eye and he said, listen to me, doctrine is not what you need right now. I felt sick. What an opportunity blown. Doctrine is exactly what they need. That's probably why I wrote the book that I wrote, because I just saw it over and over and over on the fishing field. Some of those greatest dangers that I wanted to expose. There's so little time, friends. There's so little time. We're here and gone. So little time to commit this message to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What are we going to do about it? So if people eat this exclusive bread, there's a result. And that result is eternal life. Eternal life is the result of this exclusive bread when it's eaten. That's verse 51. The phrase, now look at verse 51, the phrase that he uses, he says, if anyone eats this bread. Now what does that mean? If anyone eats this bread, what is he saying to the Jews that were grumbling? Well, in essence, that phrase means coming to Jesus by faith. There is no other way to come to Jesus Christ. It's always by faith in His person and work. There is no other means, no other necessary motive, no other way. It's coming to Jesus by faith. Now, this exclusive bread, which he says here, if anyone eats this bread, this bread is his flesh. I mean, he even says that. Is my flesh. Now, this exclusive bread, which is the flesh of Jesus, John here, when he penned this, the words of Jesus at least, the word that's used here for body which is the Greek word soma, is not used in this section. He doesn't use the word for body. He uses the word flesh, so it's translated correctly. He uses the word flesh, which we translate as flesh. Sark, sarke, he uses that word. This makes sense from what we know from John 1.14. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Became flesh. Because of His incarnation, because of Christ's incarnation, Jesus is giving. At that time, when He was in the flesh on the earth, He was presently active, giving His flesh for the life of the world. Present active. Now we must realize, it is the Father who gave the Son... And the Son who gave Himself. John 10.18 So what does that mean? Well, we can truthfully say that Jesus' sacrifice of His flesh is vicarious. It's vicarious. Vicarious meaning substitute because it is for the life of the world. This also means that we can say 
when we proclaim the gospel to people here or abroad, to believe in Christ is to accept and fully absorb the Son of God into one's life. Now notice that. Fully absorb. Just like we absorb the food and it gives us nourishment. We absorb the Son of God, spiritually speaking, into our lives as the substitute for our sin. He becomes life itself. Now, I'm sure you may have probably more experiences than I have. Um, But maybe some just like I've had. Sometimes when you preach or explain the the glad tidings, the good news uh, to people here or in other states or in other countries, you can see their facial expressions and their demeanor right away, can't you? Have you ever been in those situations where you've just seen their facial expressions just drop or their demeanor just tense up or maybe become angry? They're trying to process what you and I are saying and put all the facts together. And yet, for some, it's as if the message was hidden from them. It was the same in the, for the Jews in verse 52. It was the same for them. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Listen to me. That is the ever-present disputation of the heart of sinful man and women. And most people will respond with, yes, but, or how can, wait a minute, don't they? The Jews did it. What is their first two words he says here? Then the Jews then disputed among themselves in verse 52, saying what? How can? How can? Remember Nicodemus in John 3? In verses 4 and 9 of John 3, he uses the exact same words to Jesus at, at that night. How can a man be born when he is old? He used the same word. In John 6.42, it says, They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say? How can He now say, I have come down from the only heaven? (laughs) Always that disputation of the heart of fallen people. Yes, but wait a minute. No, how can it be? William Hendrickson said this, and I thought this was a great little reminder, and it fit this section of Scripture. Unbelief never understands the mysteries of salvation. It never can. It's, it's uh, the, the phrase, there's a, uh, an Indonesian phrase that says, Tidak mukan, and it means impossible. It's impossible. He goes on to say, Moreover, it is ever ready to scoff and to say this or that is a sheer impossibility. That is the fallen disputation, disputation of the heart of fallen men. The hard-heartedness and stubbornness of unbelief can only think physically. That's why they're grumbling. You think about before 
the Lord opened your eyes and granted you a clean heart, what kind of grumbling went on in your heart? Just like the Jews, they were ignorant of all spiritual understanding. And it is so with everyone we preach to until the spirit of truth enlightens them. It's not the missionary. It's not the pastor. It's not the elders. That is the work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate the heart. You and I cannot enlighten them no more than a water can light candle. But the Holy Spirit is the one who enlightens the dead sinner. He is pleased to regenerate the heart through the preaching of the Word. And that's what we must do until we pass away from this life. We must preach the Word. Now how does Jesus respond to the Jews? That's the question too. How does Jesus respond to the Jews in verse 53? Look at that. He says, after they question, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus responded, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He places a condition on them. I don't know if you caught that. He places a condition on these Jews that were grumbling. With, and we find that with the word unless. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless. Now, in verse 53 that I just read, Jesus makes a negative statement. Unless you eat the flesh, unless you eat my flesh, the Son of Man, and drink His blood, you have no life. You're dead. You don't exist. In verse 54, it's interesting, he makes a positive statement. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's your positive statement. In verse 53, the verbs eat and drink are what we call aorist verbs. They're not present tense verbs. Now that's, that is amazing. They are aorist verbs, not present tense verbs, which means the sacrifice of His flesh becomes to us the food that satisfies our soul that point in time when we believed in the past. He's not speaking present active there. He's pointing back at the time, at one point in time of salvation. Now, both of these metaphors teach of the necessity of believing in the sacrificial death of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Nobody would dispute that here. But listen, to believe in Christ is to take Him into ourselves by faith. It's not exterior. It is an indwelling of the Spirit and ingesting spiritually where we take Him in by faith. That's what he's trying to point out. And because he uses the aorist verbs, he's pointing back at a point in time, not a continuous action, not a present action. And this is what we herald to the nations. We herald regeneration. We herald justification by faith. Man, those are great doctrines. The labors of missions has one objective responsibility to teach Christ's life, His death, and His resurrection so clearly that the hearer is left with two options, to reject Him or receive Him. And you tell them how many people you've seen walk away 
seen that in the Korowai. Just turn around and walk away. Still hard. Still in their sin. In verse 54, Jesus calls himself now by a title. What, what did he call himself? Have you ever picked that up? He uses a title that is actually used throughout the New Testament. Throughout the Gospels, excuse me. Throughout the Gospels, he says, Unless you eat, verse 54, the flesh of who? The Son of Man. Now, my question was, okay, here is the divine Christ, this only exclusive bread come down from the only heaven that gives the only life which is eternal, and he calls himself the Son of Man. Why use this title? Why not say, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God? Why not say, unless you eat the flesh of the Messiah? It is helpful to understand this title here, because the Son of Man, if we understand it, will help us understand Jesus' thought process in this passage. But also, the Son of Man is one of the most important titles for Jesus in the New Testament. And it's one of the most misunderstood. It's very misunderstood among Christians. Now, we know, you believe, Lord willing, you get taught very well here, you know that Jesus has two natures. A divine nature and a human nature. As the Belgic Confession says, um, very God and very man. Or I like to translate it, truly God and truly man. What is usually assumed by people when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man is that he is talking about his human nature. And when he is referred to as the Son of God, he is talking about his divine nature. Actually, that is not true. The titles Son of Man and Son of God are opposite of what we would expect them to be. The title Son of God does have, in certain texts in Scripture, emphasis on the eternal sonship of Christ and His deity. There's no objection to that. There are instances in the Gospels where that's true. However, the title Son of Man is what we need to pay attention to as we study the Scriptures. Because that title comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13. And I want to read that for you. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. Okay, so to the Ancient of Days comes one like a son of man. What does that mean? This son of man is a heavenly person to be a heavenly judge. This son of man, according to verse 13, was presented before the Ancient of Days. What is this? Well, this is no more than the ascension 
into the presence of God, the Father. Remember what Jesus said in John 3.13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Wow, that's beautiful. Daniel speaks of this exclusive bread, this Son of Man that ascends into the Ancient of Days before His Father. This title, Son of Man, is not an expression of of humility that He has come in human nature. But this title is claim to Jesus' divine authority. Remember when Jesus healed on the Sabbath and His enemies planned what they might do to Him? You remember that? Jesus said, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew 12.8 You see, this title verifies. It's a verification that Jesus is who He says He is. He is this divine, exclusive bread that can only give the only life that is eternal. Now, verse 54, look at that with me. He says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He has already said this in verse 53, but in verse 54, which is a positive statement, he uses the words food and drink, or um, eat and drink. So it's, it's as if like the intake of food and drink, we must feed on and drink Christ in a spiritual sense for eternal life. So, what does it mean? So, eating and drinking Christ is equated with coming and looking and believing. That's what he's trying to tell the Jews here that are grumbling. Come to me. Look to me alone. Believe in me. And you'll have eternal life. That's what he's saying. Even Augustine said, believe and you have eaten. That's pretty good. The Jews found Jesus' statements very offensive because the law of Moses prohibited the drinking of blood and even eating meat with the blood still in it. In Sumatra, the the Batak people cook Uh, dog meat in the blood. They love it. Of course, I wouldn't eat it. But here, the Jews, under the law of Moses, knew that it was prohibited to eat and drink the blood. Jesus even asked them in verse 61, do you take offense at this? For them to drink the blood of the Son of Man was detestable. They couldn't make the connection between Leviticus 17.11 and Jesus' words here in John 6. Because Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar altar, to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. They couldn't make the connection. Now, notice the verbs feeds and drinks in verse 54, 55, 56, 57, and 58. Feeds and drinks. These are two verbs which are present participles. Now what does that indicate? That indicates that the feeding and the drinking 
is a continual intake of Jesus Christ. Before, he uses eat and drink in the aorist, which was at one point in time. Now he switches to a present participle, and it's a continual action of eating and drinking Christ. That's our sanctification. The word feeds literally means, in those five verses, means to chew, to munch, to eat audibly. You've seen your children, and you've taught them, close your mouth when you eat. I don't want to see that. And you hear munching. And sometimes you'll hear, oh, that was good. That's what he's saying here. To eat audibly. Feeding and drinking Christ. To to chew, to munch, to eat audibly. Now, verses 51 through 53, he uses that verb eats, aorist active in past at a point in time, but in verse 54 through 58, he uses the verbs that have a continual action. This means Jesus went from a singular action of eating to a continual action of feeding and drinking. And that's spiritually speaking. This must be the normal activity of those who believe. If it's not our normal activity to do this, then we are not Christians. Believers, see, yeah, believers want more of Christ. They're not satisfied. They want to continue on and on, more and more holy, more and more righteous, more and more like Him. He is the genuine food from heaven, which indicates to us that all other forms of soul satisfaction are false. Feeding on Jesus continually now would be the same as what John speaks of here, what Jesus said, and in John 15, continually feeding on Jesus is the same as abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus. And he says that. For whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Now, if we compare verse 40 with, in chapter 6, if you look at verse 40, and you compare that with verse 54, we will notice that the results in these two verses are the same. Because when you study text, you've got to go back and you've got to look at the rest of the chapter to get its context. Verse 40 in John 6 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? What are those results? Well, the results are eternal life and resurrection on the last day. These results from verse 40 come from looking and believing on the Son. Whereas in verse 54, the results come from eating His flesh and drinking His blood. This means that verse 54 is parallel with verse 40. So, you could take away from this that the eating and drinking are the looking and the believing. That's what He's telling the Jews. Last verse, verse 54 through 50, or 55 through 56 says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, 
and I in Him. These are the words of eternal life. You can either reject them or accept them. All people stand before Him the same. All are judged according to this. But it is also words of continual remaining and abiding. This is why His flesh and blood are really food and drink spiritually. Between believers and Christ, there is a remaining in that condition. It's a continual remaining because He promises, and I will raise you up on the last day. This means that a Christian is continued to be identified with Jesus. Continuing as a Christian, continuing in saving faith, and growing in that faith, and continuing to have transformation of life in Him. If that is not happening, you're not a Christian. Not that you won't struggle and sin and come back and repent. But there is an ongoing desire in the life of the believer to continually feed and drink on this exclusive bread. We must understand something here. Union with Christ is a promise for those that continually feed on Him and continually drink from Him. How do we do that? That's the question. How do we continually abide? How do we continually feed and drink on Him? We study, and we study, and we study, and we read, and we pray, and we pray, and we give our lives to these things until His return. We do that over and over and over, not out of a sense of fear or to look good if we don't, or to, to other people, or out of fear if we don't, but out of love for the truth that changes us. Let it change us. And we can't expect the world to change with one minister at a time, with one evangelist, one witness at a time, if we are not continually intaking the Lord Jesus through the Word and through prayer. That's one of the things I love about Heart Cry. You talk about leadership that is focused on prayer. My goodness. It's all about prayer. World missions will be of little importance to us if we do not remain in Him. You want power from the Holy Spirit in your life when you do His will? And you must give yourselves to the true food and true drink. This exclusive Christ. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Let us not fail to meet that test. Let us strive to continually feed on Him and take it to the world because the disputation of the heart is one thing. It's dead in sin, and we need to eat and feed on Him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank You so much for this text. Thank You for the time in Your Word. I pray that You would minister to our hearts and let it saturate our minds, that we may be more like You. Renew our minds to be conformed to the image of Christ. Oh God, help us to do your will. 
Your will is our sanctification. Your will is obedience. Oh God, help us to be obedient men and women and children of the Word. In Christ's name, amen.